What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. Thank you for making me part of your week, this week and every week. The NFL Draft is upon us, and with that, we've had some leaks of the Wonderlic tests for the quarterbacks, so myself and co-host thought it would be a fun idea to do the Wonderlic tests ourselves and see how we would stack up against NFL competition. We talk about that and more stuff in this upcoming episode. We fly by the seat of our pants, so stick around and let's have some fun. Before we jump into this episode, I just wanted to take a quick time out to say thank you to everyone who listens to me and continues to listen to me on a weekly basis. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe to me on the listening platform of your choice and leave me a good thumbs up rating so that more people can find out about this podcast. Also, if you like this podcast, do not underestimate the word of mouth. Make sure you tell your friends, you tell your family to give me a listen because they might also like what they hear. You can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, right here on Anchor. You can follow me on Twitter at SportsTalkBuff1. That's SportsTalkBuff1 on Twitter. You can also email me at SportsTalkBuffalo at Yahoo.com. Once again, thank you for listening. Now let's get on with the rest of the episode. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. I'm joined by my co-host, Mark, from the former podcast, Nickel City Sportscast. Hopefully he gets back into it, but for now, he will be joining me on my podcast, hopefully for the foreseeable future. Mark had a fantastic idea with this week's podcast as he suggested that we do the Wonderlick test with the NFL draft going on. He found a practice test for us to go ahead and take. And, um, well, we're going to talk about the results and, and how tough it was uh, as compared to some of the, the NFL quarterbacks that I've seen. So, Mark, why don't you start talking about uh, a little bit about the Wonderlick test and how you think you fared on it? All right, well, first of all, we're taking shots at each other early. I think, I think you need to pump the brakes a little bit with that former podcast stuff, man. You know, <laughs> life is in the way quarantines happen. <laughs> now you're good, man. Um, you know, you just got to gotta get back into it. That's all. I, I mean, I enjoy that you don't do it anymore because that means you give more time to jump on mine and help me out with mine. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm a podcast host slash producer. Yeah, dude. Sports, you, sports, 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 yeah, you, you do a great I'm job. Still, I'm still waiting on my dental to come in, though. Yeah. I don't know when you're going <laughs> to get back to one, but, you know, my teeth are kind of rotting out here in quarantine. When, so, you know, yeah, I'm doing nothing but eating Easter Bunny candy. Hey, man, when I, when, I get, when I get big, hopefully if I get this thing big, we can, uh, we can talk about dental <laughs> and things like that. I'll make you a full-time employee over here. My man. Oh, man. All right. So, Wonderlick. All right. Um... I saw on Twitter that uh, a lot of the, I think it was just the quarterbacks, which I always find fascinating that it's really the quarterbacks that people focus on with these Wonderlick stuff. Um, but a lot of their scores had gotten weak. And I seen that a lot of people are like, oh, you know, when this happens, they all go, all right, it's our turn. We're going to take the Wonderlick, you know, test and see how we do. And I was like, all right, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's take the Wonderlick test and see how we do this year. Because you always worry that the older you get, you know, your mind starts to slip and you start to forget things. (laughs) You become that old guy who, who like, stops in the middle of a conversation, just kind of wanders off and remembers, you know, yeah, remembers D-Day and what it was like at Nam and all that kind of (laughs) stuff. Though we're not quite that old, we are unfortunately getting there. Before we jump into the Wonderlick test, I'm going to tell everyone what it is used for. If you don't know, I looked it up. It's used to assess problem-solving skills and being able to follow instructions. So in order to take the Wonderlick test, what it is is it's a 12-minute test, and you have 50 questions to answer. Most people do not score higher. I think the average score I looked up on, what was it, um, Wonderlick Inc., said the average score for a regular person is about 20. And for quarterbacks in the NFL, it's like 25 or something like that. So comparatively, I still kind of sucked. But uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us how you did on this test? 
right. So my understanding is there's a 12 minute time period to do this. And there's yep. again, 50 questions. And I would only manage to do half the questions in that amount of time. Um, to be fair, to be fair, I don't know what the conditions are, you know, for taking this test. So like, I don't, I don't remember like the SATs, you, you had a calculator and pen and paper and you were able to sketch and do whatever, you know what yeah. I mean? You were mm-hmm. able to mess around and do equations and try to figure out the answers as quick as you can to move along. Yeah. Um, so I was doing this with my son on my lap and, you know, my nieces and nephews around me, like I, my conditions were not ideal, but I did the best I could. So I managed to get 25 questions done and I did nine, I got 19 of them right out of 25. So I mean, 19 out of 25 is 76%. That's what I'm going with. Yeah. But Andrew insists <laughs> that we do 19 out of 50. Well, <laughs> that's what I it, only did about 30 something percent. Yeah. It's, thir- it's like 38%. <laughs> that's what it is, yeah, man. It it's, is, it's out of 50 questions. Uh, your Wonderlick score is out of how many questions you get correct out of the 50 in the time limit. I mean, the only, the the real re- I don't want to say the real reason. I mean, I'll tell you, I didn't really score that well either. Um, my conditions were a little bit better than yours. Unfortunately, I read pretty slow, so I you know I skipped. I think I skipped two questions overall in, in you know in that time period. I stopped on question. Um, I, I timed out on question thirty number thirty, so I didn't get uh, to even really think about that question at all. I got sixteen out of the 29 that I did was able to kind of go through and answer. So man, we did not, we didn't fare very well <laughs> on, the, on this test. I think I say it again. Hit that button, bro. I think our, uh, I think our draft stock is dropping a considerable yeah, amount. Hit that button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine, mine was. Yeah, mine was pretty terrible. I can't. I can't believe I didn't. I didn't score a little bit higher. At least I thought I was. Man, I thought I could have got at least a twenty out of it, but sixteen. That's that's pretty pathetic. I did, however, beat Tua Tagovailoa. His score was leaked to be a what a thirteen. And did you know? that a score above a 10 is deemed literate. And if you score underneath a 10, you're, uh, there's evidence that you might be illit- illiterate. So you can't read. <laughs> so, you know, there are some guys that Buffalo fans know, you know, they didn't, they didn't fare so well. Great. I mean, I don't know how that bodes for them in terms of their reading abilities and things like that, but they were... Uh, halfway decent football players, at least for for Buffalo. We have, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Everyone should know too that these wonderlic they do not dictate how well you end up playing on the field and then what your career becomes. I mean, Frank Gore, I think, got one of the lowest uh, wonderlic scores ever. Yes, sir. And he's basically on the road to a, a, a Hall of Fame career. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, who by all accounts has had a decent career. I mean, a, a very long running and he's, he, he, you know, he's made a name for himself for sure, but he's not a Hall of Fame quarterback and he's had one of the highest Wonderlick scores ever yeah. recorded. So, do, you, do you know who scored the highest Wonderlick score in NFL history? I do not know. I'm going to butcher his last name, but his name was Pat McInley. And guess what position that gentleman played? Uh, the name sounds familiar. Was he on special teams? Was he like a punter or something? He was a punter. The highest Wonderlick, <laughs> the highest Wonderlick score in NFL history was a punter. So that kind of goes to show you how important these tests really are, and also the fact that a quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's had a halfway decent career in all aspects, the fact that he was able to kind of carve out a career. I guess it kind of shows you how smart he is in his problem-solving skills with his Wonderlick test, but in terms of his playing ability, he was never really able to kind of stick as a starter. It, you know, he was, what, a seventh-round draft pick by St. Louis. These scores, while they can kind of assess your problem-solving abilities and things like that, it in the grand scheme of things, in terms of football, it I, I don't want to say it doesn't mean a whole lot, but it's a, I think it's kind of a small piece of the puzzle to kind of help GMs 
figure out, you know, extracurricular, you know, stuff off the field and how they might be able to problem solve with other aspects of football life. Yeah, I think it's important. Like, like you said, there's, there's certain stuff that you can kind of pull from these tests as far as how well guys do. Um, but it really doesn't measure football intelligence. And I think when you're testing that, what's really important, especially during draft time, they bring these guys in, you know, not just during the combine, but they'll, they'll have their pre-draft meetings and stuff with the guys they bring in. And they basically put them right on the whiteboard and they just, they see what, how much they know and how much they can absorb and what they can remember. Like those are the quote unquote tests that really make the difference as far as what I think GMs and, and the front offices for these teams are looking for. Um, there's very little, I think, that they really even take from these wonderful. For me, they're almost just, it's become a tradition to do them. Yeah. I don't know how much stake anybody really puts into them. Do you think they're going to put more stake into them now since they can't really have like a face-to-face interview with these guys? I know that they do the the Zoom interviews and the phone interviews and yeah. things like that, but do you think that this test is might be looked on a little bit heavier this year than most years, obviously with it being essentially a fantasy draft to dra- you know be drafting these guys? You know, I, I really don't think so. Um, I, I get why someone would think that, given out you know the reasons you laid out, but honestly, I, I was reading online and somebody had, had mentioned, you know, when, when somebody's looking at these Wonderlist scores and they're looking at a prospect and if they score kind of low, it really only kind of makes them go back and, and study the prospect a little bit closer. But other than that, I don't know that they really hold any any weight with GMs in the front offices of these teams. I really don't. It's uh, just, like I said, if they score a little lower than you probably thought they would or you would prefer, it only just makes you go back and, again, you're you're gonna check to see how they're diagnosing plays, you know, at, at the line of scrimmage and and the, the decision making and and that aspect of the the film review. But I really don't know that it it sways anybody one way or the other too much. So how do you think we fared with the, you know the incoming crop of of quarterbacks coming into this year's uh, NFL draft? I don't, I'm assuming these guys did all 50 questions. So I don't even know that it's fair to compare us. I, like, <laughs> I found it difficult just to get through all 50 questions in 12 minutes. Yeah, me so too. I don't know how smooth these guys really are or they're not, but <laughs> I don't know that it's fair to compare myself. Because right now you're saying out of 50 questions, we're about a 30-something percent. Yeah. I I don't know that it's fair to compare. I mean, if they I, again, I'm assuming they got through all 50 questions. Yeah, but I mean, guys like, I'm sure guys like Frank Gore and Vince Young, both guys who got a six on the Wonderlick test, and Morris Claiborne, who got a four, by the way. I think he's the lowest score in the history of the NFL, was Morris Claiborne. Uh, He was taken seventh overall, again, so that kind of shows you where they put the, the emphasis in terms of, you know, how they evaluate players. So they actually, I think they actually traded up to draft Morris Claiborne at number seven. But, I mean... You know, to not get, I didn't get through all 50 questions. I thought I got a little bit further than I did, realistically, but I don't know. Does it say anything about the prospects when they, they don't get through all 50 questions? Of course, they get, you know, the, the quarterbacks got to get through all 50 questions. These guys are coming from big time colleges, right? You know, they, they teach them how to take tests well. Yeah. I mean, like I said, for me, I'm looking at it more as I got 19 out of 25. But and then seventy six, and when I come from that, the passing grade. But so. you, but you didn't. You got nineteen out of fifty. <laughs> listen, listen, <laughs> you didn't listen, follow the listen. test parameters, man. <laughs> I, I did do out of the twenty five questions. I did do. I got nineteen. I still only got a fifty five percent. I'm a half full kind of guy. All right. Do not, do not disrupt my sweat. All right. <laughs> I yeah, I only got a fifty-five percent. I mean, in turn, I mean, maybe I when I was in school, that wasn't uh, that wasn't a passing grade. But I don't know what it's like nowadays with the Common Core math and everything like that. Who knows, man? Fifty fifty-five is fifty-five is kind of close to sixty, which is kind of close. 
which is kind of close to 65. That's common core math. So I think I passed either way. I would be deferring a lot to my wife when it comes to math, if it's still common core that our kids are learning. Yeah. I, I, I've seen that stuff and it's just, it's so far out of left field for me. And I, I, I feel like it's 10 times the work that you need to do. And it's just, I don't get it. I don't get it either. I actually looked at one of my nephew's common core math questions and they said without adding or subtracting, and then they gave you an adding and subtracting question. And I was kind of wondering how, the, how in God's name you're supposed to <laughs> figure out, like if Timmy has 46 and gives away 13, how many does he have left? Do this problem without subtracting. How the hell do you do that? I'm not sure. Yeah. They, they're, they're slowly but surely trying to turn our youth into into robots. Yeah, it's it's getting close, you're man. Because that's you're subtracting. You're supposed to just get the answer right away. <laughs> so go go back to the quarterbacks. How do you how do you think you did? Where do you think you landed in terms of this crop of this crop of quarterbacks here? Um, I don't think I did well. So. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, I I agree. I think a lot of them were, were in the thirties, but like the thirty to thirty to forty range. I would I would I mean I would wager right. Yeah, I mean you beat you and I both beat to a tag of Aloha. He scored a thirteen. Uh, you beat just or uh, yeah, Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts scored an eighteen. I did not beat Jalen Hurts. Apparently, he's a lot smarter than I am. Uh, guys like Jacob Eason. Jordan Love, Jacob Eason got a 23. Love got a 27. They said uh, Burrow got a 30, or not, was it Burrow? I think it was Burrow got a 30, or, um, oh my God, I can't I can't even think. Herbert got like a 27 or 24. I forgot what it was. He got something like a 24. And then somebody came out online and actually said he got like a 38. So he was, you know, he did way better than what's being reported. Again, not sure what that really means, but in terms of how good of a quarterback you're going to be. I'm sure that it probably factors in a little bit to your decision-making, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a stab in the dark here. I, I seen on Buffalo fanatic. They had a lot of their fans take this test and send it into them to, yeah. with their results. I'm guessing none of them had a 12 minute mark because I saw a lot of test scores come back and they were like high forties. The one guy yeah. got 50 out of 50. There's no I'm way. Assuming that he took it more than once or they didn't hold themselves to the 12-minute standard. I think that they're all full of poo-poo, if you ask me. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. I think they're all a little bit full of poo-poo. I wanted to do this test as fairly and, and as accurately as they probably do in the NFL, and I held myself to the 12-minute. You know what? I didn't get through all the questions in 12 minutes. I just skipped right to the end of the test, which means I didn't get any of those questions correct. I just, you know... Out of the questions that I was able to answer, I got 16 of them right. That's my Wonderlick score, 16 out of 50. You know, that's it is what it is. You know, I again, I'm not I'm not the fastest reader in the whole world, but obviously I know how to talk pretty well. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah I, I also I think it's a good time to mention that since we're doing this, like we're, we did the Wonderlick, I think at some point in the future, once this quarantine thing is over, yeah, we should do a combine. For ourselves. So oh like my God! That, yes, that the couch potato combine, and see, you know, we'll run our forties. We'll, you know, we'll do our verts and we'll do all that. I think we should see where our dad bods can take us. Oh my God, dude! I do not even want to run anymore. My big old fat belly jiggling <laughs> around. My belly. That um, <laughs> let me let me say this to everyone out there. I'm not actually fat. I mean, I'm way fatter than I used to be at five foot ten, a buck seventy two. And it's all, it's like all stomach. I don't know where it came from. It's all stomach and tits. <laughs> it's all stomach. It's all stomach and tits. <laughs> Somebody should make a t-shirt. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's so bad. It's, it's so bad. But you know what I dude? I've wanted to do combine tests for a while now. And you know what? If I can, if I feel like I can still perform fairly well, even at the worst shape I have, I have probably ever been in in my entire life in terms of uh, agility and, and quickness and speed and stuff like that. You don't think I can get under a 5.0 in terms of a 40-yard dash? I still think I'm right around that 
I know in high school I could have absolutely blown it away. I think I was probably like a 4.6 or a 4.7, but I still have confidence in myself that I'm fast enough to get under a 5.0. You know, guys like you and I who our, our athletic experience, our, you know, our sport history is just, it's very minimal in comparison to these guys. Yeah. I just, and I look to be honest, we're not, we're not workout stars. Like I'm not hanging out in the basement or in the garage and lifting weights and running on the trip. I'm not, I am, I am the quintessential dad guy. So I just, I would love to see where my results you know, compared to, to these athletes that actually get invited to the combine. I just, I want to, I just want to have my numbers. I do we too. We talked about it. We always wanted to do it. And I just, I would love to see where my numbers are at this point in my life. At 31. Go, Hold on. You know what? You know what? I could, I could, I could have been an offensive lineman. You know? <laughs> no, you couldn't. <laughs> no, in, you couldn't. The offensive line. In 1943, I could have been an offensive lineman. In 1943, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I could have been a quarterback, you know, in 1912. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's that's. Leather helmet we could have, we could have, we could have made the starting squad in leather helmet days. Yeah, that's. Uh, sorry, I, I'm having a little technical difficulties over here. My uh, my computer's kind of running a little bit behind me, so I just wanted to make sure that the recording was still going as planned here. So hopefully, it doesn't drop any of the audio for you guys. But, uh, yeah, dude, I think that's a fantastic idea. I think maybe we should even record it and then throw it up on the Twitter just so that people don't think our numbers are, are BS and baloney. I think we should almost record it. You know, we should. Rec- oh, it's a, it's going to be a hundred percent embarrassing, but I think it's going to be a hundred percent entertaining. And I think that, you know, hopefully maybe it'll give, uh, maybe it'll be a new trend where other people will go out and do the, the, the couch potato combine, you know, with, <laughs> with their dad bods and see, see, see where we stack up with the other dad bods. That's honestly, that's one of those things where, you know, you, you have this idea in your head of what you look like when you're doing exercises <laughs> or working out or whatever. And then you actually see yourself. I don't want to live that truth. I don't want to live it. Like I laugh at certain people when I see them run. I don't, I, I have this idea of what I look like when I run and I don't want to ruin it. I really don't. <laughs> I, I really want to ruin it for you, if we're being honest. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to ruin it for me, too, man. I think that I look all right when I'm running, but, you know, I probably not realistically. <laughs> I probably look really terrible at this stage in my life. You know, in terms of the NFL, what we're kind of, we're, we would be kind of past our primes, wouldn't we? You know, over the age of 30. Oh, yeah. We're, we're looking down the barrel at, at, 32 here in the next couple months or so and yeah I'm, we would like if we were running back i'm pretty sure we would be we like would, on the free agent market just hoping somebody thinks that we're good enough to <laughs> to come in and do like third down and goal line duty yeah i don't even know if we were we, were, we would ever be that good i think right now we would have been out of the league about four or five years ago <laughs> if we're being honest <laughs> but while we well, let's, let's, you know what? Let's shift gears. Let's stop talking about the Wonderlick. I'm curious. Since we're just having a fun podcast and we're just kind of going off the cuff here a little bit and we're just having fun talking to each other about sports and whatnot, what are your favorite three sports movies? Not in order necessarily. Go. Oh, very easy. A League of Their Own, The Replacements, Remember the Titans. Really, I am surprised that you don't have one of the one of the ones that I have. We agree on one of them. Mine, I have a league of their own in there for sure. But I thought maybe you would put the Sandlot in there too. You know what? It, I, I had thought about this, and I was like, there, there really is a wide variety of sports movies. The Sandlot was a very big part of my childhood. Um. I could have easily have, ironically enough, replaced the replacement with the Sandlot here. Um, the Sandlot, I, I like I said, it's a very big part of my childhood because it was actually the first movie I ever saw at the drive-in. My dad took me. Really? Um, it, yeah, that's like one of my best memories. I loved that movie for a wide variety of reasons. 
And you again, you can honestly have swapped out the replacements with the Sandlot here if you so choose. But when you had asked me this question, like the three that jumped into my head real quick were those. And I, the reason I love the replacements so much is again, I'm a big football fan. So when I watch this, I loved the story of like these underdog, just everyday guys that had some experience, but their lives and their careers took them somewhere else. And then all of a sudden there's a strike in the league and all these guys are back to, to playing again. And they just, it's, it's a hilarious movie. I love the scene in the jail cell when they're, you know, they're dancing and everything and then singing along. It's just, it's an awesome movie. It makes me laugh. It gives me a nice warm feeling. It's, you know, I love those underdog movies. So, but again, you, you could have gone either way with replacements or Sandlot. Yeah, I was kind of, when you said replacements, I was going to say, really? Like, that's one of your top three sports movies? Of course, that we have seen, people, that we've seen. We're not saying all time. We're not saying out there. You know, there's a lot of sports movies I haven't seen, which is kind of embarrassing being a sports fan. But I'm more for, like, actual sports and not necessarily sports movies. But anyway, this is just the sports movies that we have seen. And my three favorites... Now, brace yourself. I'm going to let I'm going to let a cat out of the bag here, okay? For the first time, I'm going to get a little vulnerable on this podcast. Okay, are you ready for it? Yeah, I'm ready. Go for it. Okay. I think one of my favorite sports movies is Rudy. And for the simple fact that I cry at the end of that movie every single time. And I'm not joking. Every I think you'd get a lot of support with that one. Every single time <laughs> I've seen that movie 50 plus times I've cried every single time is that embarrassing that's a little embarrassing I'm a grown-ass man <laughs> I, I again I don't think you're alone there though there's a lot of sports nuts out there that love Rudy and and would probably have handkerchiefs on hand for you and for them that's I would say I would say if you're you're reaching out you know, broad strokes, definitely Rudy. You'll, you'll, you'll get a lot of support for the, the Rudy thing there. Obviously, my second one would be the Sandlot. I have the Sandlot currently recorded on my DVR. It's been there since I've had my DVR. The very first opportunity that I got to record the Sandlot, of course, I put it on the DVR. And when I need a go-to movie, whether it's to fall asleep to or watch, you know, just throw something on the TV, the Sandlot is always a big hit. Love that movie. You know, it's it's an iconic movie for for people like me and you growing up. You know, that's that was a that was a, a childhood movie that you can't really ever forget. Yeah, too many good memories. I just watching that movie for me is just it it's man, it's that movie is childhood and I love it. It makes me so happy every part of it from the 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 insults that they give each other the the you're killing me smalls he's an L7 weenie love it <laughs> <laughs> you know it's yeah. just actually come to think of it i i am remembering now i played that movie on the garage door at my parents house we did like an outdoor drive and um my my son and our nephew Levi they made their own cars to sit in. So like we did like a makeshift driving and that's the movie we played. We played the Sandlot. So spreading it to know, future the generations. More talking about, the more I'm like, I got to replace the replacements with the Sandlot. <laughs> I think you have to, I think you have to. The replacements is a great movie. Don't get me wrong. I also really enjoy the replacements itself, but when it comes to like favorite movies, again, replacements, if it's on TV, when I'm watching TV, it stays on the TV no matter what else is on, realistically, unless it's like a, a Sabres game or a Bills game, in which case I'm not really changing the channels anyway. But if it's on the TV on a Sunday afternoon after the Bills play or when it's in the offseason, I'm always I'm always going to watch the replacements. But the Sandlot, man, it's just, that's where it is for me. That's where it is for me. So, And then my third one is, we agree on, is a league of their own. Although, again, I'm going to, I'm going to, fill people in I don't like to watch the end of a league of their own I don't like to watch the end of it I want I want Dottie to win is that is that bad I want the winner to win I don't want the un this is the only time in my life I don't want the underdog to win 
I gotta, I gotta ask you though, because I think this has been a debate for for this movie specifically amongst people since it came out, and it's still ongoing, I believe. Do you think that Dottie Henson threw that game? Oh man, that's a good question. I would hope not. I would hope that her competitiveness would not let her throw that game, and I realistically think that her li- that was like her little sister's coming out party, and Dottie was just happy for her. I don't think she threw that game, because if she threw that game, it wouldn't have gone to like a Game 7 type experience. I think she would have just came back and just threw the game. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think she, she would have hit that, you know, hit that line drive to put the team ahead. I don't think she would have did any of that stuff. You know what I mean? So I don't think but she... There's, there's, there's that key moment, though, where, you know... She, you know, Dottie's kind of looking around. She's, you could tell she's processing her a lot. She's processing why she's there, what this game means to her, what it means to the, the team, but she's also thinking about what it means to her sister. You know what I mean? I know the like, exact moment that you're talking you about could, in that movie. You could tell she, she's really, like, she's taking it a lot. You, you even saw it. Like, even though she comes back to play, you know, you, you could tell her heart, isn't in the game. Her heart is with her husband, who she thought damn near died at war, in war. That she just got back, and you know, she wants to start a life outside of baseball. She comes back, I think, almost out of. She wanted to be there, but also obligation. Like she spent a whole season with this team. That, you know, she got to know these girls. She built a family with them, and you know, you owe it to them too to to be there, kind of thing, right? Yeah. But, but in the, in the same sense, though, you think about the speech that uh, Jimmy Dugan gave to her, man. It's just you that hits yeah. you that hits you in the feels as a competitive player. You know the the it, when Dottie says it just got too hard, and then he just he leans in and just goes, "It's supposed to be hard. If it was easy, everybody would do it. The hard is what makes it great." That to me. <laughs> like, come on, man! How can uh, how can me saying that to you right now make you not want to go out there and run laps or or you know <laughs> you yeah. know go play hard? I want to play right now. And, but like I said, I think I think the debate is is still going on because you know what was in her heart because she didn't she didn't compete anymore after that game. She left the league. She went on her life and built a family and did all so. Again, you you look at it, and that's what I love about that ending to the movie. And then just what I love about the movie in itself is that it had everything: it had comedy, drama, you know, the whole nine, suspense, everything. And when that that hand, her hand with the ball clenched slowly comes down and hits the hits the dirt, and you just see it, the ball slowly roll out of her hand. It's just you're like you. You finally let go because you were holding your breath that entire time. Yeah, you know what I mean. You're holding breath. You go, oh my god. Yeah, for me, I don't like. I said, man, I just being being Dottie Henson. For me, I'm Dottie Henson. I am the most competitive. When I've played sports, I have normally been one of the best, if not the best, person on the field. So, like, I understand where she's at. And I think that when her sister ran her over at home plate and she dropped that ball, it was almost like a all right. Her little her little sister kind of took that away from. I don't want to say took it away from her, but it was kind of like it was it was a bittersweet moment for her. She was I think she was upset that she lost, but it, it made her happier that her sister finally won. You know what I mean? Like she didn't just give up. Her little sister took it, kind of thing. That's what it's like for me. Her little sister took it, like it that. Again, that's 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 how I viewed it, and that's how she kind of finally goes like, "All right, this isn't my show anymore. This is my little sister's show now, so I can kind of scoot off and go about my business." That's kind of how I take the end of that movie. Yeah, what I loved about Dottie Henson's character too was that she it was it was very effortless for her. Yep, it was just. She just, you could tell like throughout the movie, you could, you could see in her demeanor and everything. It's just, she just had natural talent and she really didn't think about it at all. She didn't, you know, why she, you could tell that she played hard and she gave everything that she had. It's just, it but it didn't seem like, 
like someone like Kit, who has to literally give everything so that way the best of her abilities comes out. For for Dottie, it, it took literally next to no effort. You know what I mean? To yeah. do that. Yeah. And, she, and that's, that's, that's the yin and the yang of their relationship. And that's why I love that they're the center of that, that story is that you've got the the very average talent of her younger sister who lives in her big sister's shadow, who's got all this natural talent and really doesn't have the love for the game the way her sister does. You know yeah, what I mean? For sure. It's just, it's, yeah, it's an awesome movie. I love it. That's why it's one of my favorites. If you've never seen it, you should probably go jump off a bridge also because that's crazy to me. Uh, I'm sure that there's going to be movies that other people might send me in and say like, you should, you Andrew should jump off a bridge because you haven't seen it or at least not seen it the whole way through. And I understand that. But this is a movie for me that you have to go see. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Rent it. Buy it. Whatever. It's it's online somewhere, I'm sure. It's got to be. Everything's online now. But it's a movie that you have to go see. You you have to take a couple hours and watch it. It's just a fantastic... And it's, it's based on a... I don't want to say it's based on a true story like the characters, but it's based on the fact that the the women's league started up during world war two. So that, that in itself, it's a little bit, uh, I don't want to say it's like a history lesson, but it's kind of cool to think that, you know, women came in and, and kind of filled the role of the men who went overseas to fight in world war two and fight the Nazis. And that grew into, you know, a really big attraction and, and things like that. It's kind of, it's kind of cool to think about and stuff like that. And the storyline in the actual movie itself is pretty fantastic. You're right. Filled with comedy. It's filled with drama. It's filled with heartache. It's, it's, it's literally has everything that you would want in a movie. And it's just a fantastic sports movie. Yeah. And Tom Hanks, I mean, can you ever really go wrong with Tom Hanks? No, not, not as Jimmy Dugan. That's for sure. He plays the perfect role in, (laughs) in that movie. But one other question and I'll let you go for the night. Real quick, sports documentaries, top three, go. Uh, I honestly don't have a top three. Like I've seen a ton of documentaries, sports documentaries. Um, I love a lot of the 30 for 30. I know that just this afternoon they played the Fort Falls of Buffalo. Yeah. That's a really good one. You, uh, you know what? I still, like that, like, I still haven't seen that. Is that you right? haven't watched them? I have not. I have oh, not taken the time I mean, to sit and watch that all the way through. And it's because... Wait, is that out of space or just out of, out of circumstance? It's out of... It's out of... I know you said that it's kind of like a feel-good thing, but it's out of sheer, like, just what if. Like, in my head, I always... Obviously, we weren't young... Or we were so young that we don't remember a whole lot of the Super Bowl era... But for me, it's still kind of like, it's still, it's, you know, it's like a wound that never heals. And to keep watching things about it, like every time I hear even the utterance of the the wide right, it's like, it's like putting a little salt in the wound. Every time I see something about the Dallas Stars winning the Stanley Cup on a bogus goal, it still hurts a little bit. Every time I think about the, the uh, Hurricanes winning, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes winning the Stanley Cup, even though I know that the Sabres probably should have went to the Stanley Cup Finals and had a legitimate chance to win in 2005-2006 when the top four of their defensemen got hurt and couldn't play in Game 7. We were essentially playing with an AHL roster on the back end. Those things, man, I just, I can't, it's hard for me to relive. There's a super good, like, 30-minute I don't like a 30 minute documentary about the the team that the Sabres had in 0506 and you know a couple of players get together and they kind of reminisce about it that the Sabres put out and I haven't been able to finish it because it's like I don't know man I just have I haven't gotten over any of those things and it still hurts me to go back and think about any of those things so it's really hard for me to come around and sit down and watch about the failures of the teams that I love so much you know what? Though? I will tell you this: it is it's very cathartic to watch. It you, it helps you appreciate what we did have, and looking at where we're at now, it helps me appreciate everything even more. You know what I mean? Because, like you said, we were very young when the whole thing got started, 
And while we didn't get to revel in it the way like our some maybe some of our family members did, like older cousins or our obviously our aunts, uncles, moms, dads. Don't say our parents for um, sure. Yeah, but even even at a young age, you could tell it was very much a part of you know who we were as Buffalonians. Yeah, and being able to to kind of see it through a, a different lens, it was it was really awesome. Like I said, cathartic. It was it was a way to to put everything into perspective and appreciate you know all the guys that were here, a ton of Hall of Famers. Yeah, I'm talking not just on the field. We're talking about Levy, Bill Bullion, yeah. you know, across the board. And I, I never, I don't know if I've ever uttered it aloud, but when I, when they hired McDermott, when they hired Dean, and I saw, you know, over the next couple of years where things were going and how they were trending, I was going, oh my god, could this? And then obviously we take Josh Allen, and the compare. There was a lot of comparisons to like a young Jim Kelly. As far as like the big strong quarterback, obviously Kelly wasn't mobile the way the way Allen is, but there were a lot of similarities there that you know that people had pointed out. And I'm sitting here and I'm in my head, I'm going, are we are we where our parents were thirty something years ago? You know what I mean? Like I don't ever are our kids are our kids that generation that we were when this got started? You know. Like, is that happening for us now? I, I, I hope I so. My I don't want to jinx it. Yeah, I hope so. But in the same sense, I'll give up four straight trips to the Super Bowl for one Super Bowl win. And I know that there's something big brewing for the Buffalo Bills. It's at least seemingly there's something very special that's happening right now. And I am fully trying to take the time to appreciate it. We've talked, I've talked about it, the bills and themselves quite a bit. I've, you know, all, all season long, super excited about where the team is heading and the, the leadership that's on this team. And the fact that they seem like they are very good at evaluating talent and getting the most out of the guys that they bring into Buffalo, man, I I just don't know, man. It, It, I just being a Buffalo being from Buffalo and seeing the failures over and over and over again, it's just, it's always hard for me to not stem on the side of caution. You know what I mean? To not be on the side of like cautious optimism. I can't, I hope, you know, I expect the Bills to win 11 games this year, at least. If they don't win 10 to 11 games this year, it's a failure. An absolute monumental failure of a year. If they don't win the division, it's a failure of a year. If they don't win at least one playoff game, it's a failure of the year. Like they, they need to take that next step. They need to show us that they're still building something fantastic and they're still going in the right direction and that they have not plateaued at that 10 and six, but that they could pretend, I don't want to say potentially because the Patriots were the greatest dynasty of all time, but in the NFL anyway. Um, but I, I, I want them to take that thrown away and I want them to be the kind of the, the new Kings of the AFC East. But I'm, I just, uh, the, all the disappointments as a, as a Buffalo fan, just, they really, really hold me back from letting go and just being crazy overexcited about any season in particular, whether it's the Sabres, the Bills, the Bandits, the Bulls, whoever, it's just the the tremendous amount of failures that we have had to endure as Buffalo fans. It has made me cautiously optimistic about every single sport that we watch. Yeah, I I'm I'm right in that boat with you, but it's a gut feeling. I think this time around, like I've we we've seen plenty of GMs and coaches and all different kinds of players come through the city and everyone's made a promise or, you know, there's been all this optimism and I, it's a, it's a feeling I get when, you know, it's, it's like when you have to choose a college almost. So you might visit a few different colleges and while they all have their pros and cons, you choose that one that gave you a feeling of 
I feel at home here kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yep. Like something feels right completely across the like it's just it has nothing to do about closing has nothing tangible, nothing logical. It's just you close your eyes, you feel it in your heart. And that's what I feel about McDermott and Bean and everything that I've seen you know I've seen evidence of why they they can be great, but it's also a feeling when when Bean and McDermott talk, the way they conduct themselves. You know, it's just it's very different than anything we've had since Napoleon and Levy years. You know what I mean? I and mean, it's the closest I feel like this organization has come to the likes of that team in so long. Yeah, for sure. I I will not disagree with that. And you're right. It's I'm just so ready to be disappointed again. And it just it sucks. It kind of it just sucks. <laughs> that's that's the only word I got for yeah, it. It just it sucks. The, the expectations are just completely different this year. They are, and that's because that's because right now we're perceiving the division in and of itself to have been handed to us on a silver platter, yeah. given the circumstances of what has happened. And while we still have so many demons, we're ready to exercise. I'm more cautiously optimistic now than any previous year because of that. It's almost that too good to be true scenario. It really so, is. That's why I'm waiting for now, it to all crumble down. <laughs> yeah. Now, while you're while you're sitting here and you're like, it's not good enough if we don't get 11 plus wins and, and win the division and this and that. I'm looking at it and going, I don't want to sit there every Sunday, Monday, Thursday, whatever day that they're playing, whatever night they're playing on. I don't want to sit there and go. I expect you to be great because let's be honest, they just, they've never been that. So it's almost not fair to hold them to that expectation. And while the last three, four years or whatever have been promising and it, it's been the most exciting and good I felt about Buffalo football in forever. I also don't, I don't want to put myself in that position where like, I expect you to be this. Well, how can I expect you to be this if you've never been this before? You, I, I, we haven't given them really, and I'm, I mean them being this regime, we haven't really given them so much of an opportunity to be great. They've only been building towards great. Greatness will come, I think, at, as a result of this season. If this season ends up being what we're expecting, then that's, then that's when we could start expecting more and start expecting the greatness. You know, we expect you to be what the Patriots the Patriots fans expect that team to be every year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they expect them to be an 11 plus win team every year and make the playoffs, win the division. You know what I mean? I will get to that point when a, they've done that this year and they've won a playoff game. They haven't, they've gotten to the playoffs two out of three years, but they haven't won a game. yet. Yeah. So, if they, if they get to that um, point, that's kind of, I think they have to, this season's going to tell a whole lot about who the bills are as a team and it's going to tell a whole lot about who Josh Allen is as a quarterback. This year is probably the most important year I can remember for the Buffalo Bills in as long as I have been hardcore Buffalo Bills Mafia. Seriously, it's is such an important year, and I hope all the players feel it. I hope the coaching staff feels it. I hope the general manager feels it. I just And I just don't want to be disappointed, man. I just that's my biggest fear being a Buffalo. My biggest fear is the disappointment's gonna be solved when we find out there is no season. Oh my god, that's gonna be so much worse. <laughs> There's not gonna be a season this year. <laughs> that's gonna be so much worse. That's, that's the disappointment I think you're feeling. It's not the team that's gonna disappoint. The league in and of, in and of itself is gonna disappoint you because they're gonna go, Yeah, this whole, you know, coronavirus thing is going on a lot longer than we expected, so season's canceled. <laughs> you know how bad that would suck to have a team that we finally expect to kind of win 11 games and they should win on paper, win the AFC East, and they should potentially get a home playoff game and then the season gets it canceled? Would the most that would be job that there could ever be. That re- like, when you mention all the, the wide rightness, we call these being buffaloed. If you've had something like that happen to you, you were buffaloed. This would be a, 
this would be being buffaloed. This would we would be, finally be in a position where we're confident with our team, the way it's being ran. Uh, Brady's out of the division. The you know all the other teams look like they're really not you know going anywhere as far as they're they're not on a level that we feel like our team is at right now. Like young talent, everything's going right as far yeah. as we're concerned. And then coronavirus and the whole season can coronavirus. That would be. <laughs> Yeah, it would be awful. It would be absolutely awful. And that would that would 100% be Buffalo's luck. When they talk about the most snake-bitten fan bases, I nobody's more snake-bitten than Buffalo fans. There's nobody. You cannot convince me otherwise. You cannot convince me otherwise. As a fan of, and maybe I'm biased, but as a fan in Buffalo who has watched these teams for the better part of two-plus decades, nobody can tell me that there is a more snake-bitten city, sports city, than Buffalo, New York. There isn't. Oh, for sure. I mean, we had, we had a great NBA team with with freaking Hall of Famers on it, like guys <laughs> that people remember and recognize and still talk to to this day. People remember the Buffalo Braves fondly, and what happened? That team got buffaloed. <laughs> their yeah. their owner freaking sold them all the way across the country, and they are now the L.A. Clippers. How awful like, is that? They, they were, they were, for all intents and purposes, they were a pretty damn good team with pretty damn good players. They they had left a mark on the NBA. Their lifespan just got cut short. Yeah, that's they got buffed. Yeah, they got <laughs> they got buffaloed for sure. That's yeah. You're right. That's so we, it. Should be a it should be a verb. It should be a verb. Getting buffaloed. Getting buffaloed should be a verb. Is that your is that your yeah. only sports documentary there? No, I mean there's like I said there's there's been plenty. The other one that I really liked it was another thirty for thirty was uh, Small Potatoes who killed the USFL. I loved that one because when I watched there was so much about that that whole story with how they, you know, the league got started and, and how they were trying to compete with the NFL and everything that I didn't know that was just fascinating to me. And then I love the, I, I love that there were so many Hall of Famers, like even, even Bill's legends, like Jim Kelly, Marv Levy and Bill Polian were all a part of the USFL. Kelly was uh, the quarterback for the Houston Gamblers. So after we drafted him, he basically was like, I'm not going to Buffalo. And he went to the USFL and played for, the gamblers for a year and Levy coached the Chicago blitz for a year. And Bill Polian was the, the player personnel director for the blitz that year too. So, I mean, and then there were other greats like Reggie white, Steve young, um, I believe uh, Herschel Walker. And you know, there was, there was just so many great NFL players that came out of that league too, that when I watched that, I would, that's what makes me want, a startup like you know, I, like what the AAF and XFL were trying to be. They were, they were trying to be a spring league and, and get young players and players that didn't have a chance or had a chance and needed another chance. Like, I want NFL Europe back. I want some kind of you know developmental league. And that's one of the reasons I love watching that, um, that documentary because you got to see what a alternative to the NFL could be, and. Again, there's there's always potential for greatness to come out of it, and yeah, there, again, sure. there was there's a long list, a long list of great great players, coaches, and front office guys that that came out of that that league. And I mean, if you if you haven't seen it, if you ever get a chance, definitely watch it. It's amazing. And our our president of the United States was a big a big centerpiece around that. Yeah, whole thing. I, yeah, I, I have I have watched it. It's been a long time since I have watched it. I know that I I have in the past, and it was something that I really liked myself. Um, I don't remember a whole lot about it, honestly, because it was I probably watched it, you know, years and years ago when I think it was like one of the first thirty for thirties when they started doing the thirty for thirties way back when. And um, yeah, it was one of the first ones I watched. It was I, I I liked it. I can I remember sitting there going like, man, this is so interesting. It's so cool to kind of learn about this kind of stuff. And it makes you sad that the the not necessarily that the AAF didn't keep going. I always thought that that was kind of a, a dumpster fire and it was hot garbage. Realistically, that's that was when I watched the AAF. I was like, man, this is this is awful. 
I watched it and I was like, I can't watch this anymore. This is terrible. But with the XFL, the rules and things like that, now it was a little bit gimmicky with some of them. Loved the kickoff rule. Loved the punting rules. Not a huge fan of going for it after a touchdown, but okay, I can get on board with that. The product that they put on the field was just better. Like it was polished. It looked good. It felt good. You know what I mean? Like it's something that should have had more of an opportunity, but you know, the events of the world kind of took that away from us. And I think that they had a real opportunity for a year two and a year three and to really start growing that thing a little bit for that spring football. But, you know, we're we're kind of right back where we started two, three years ago with nothing and, uh, you know, the CFL. But in the CFL, you can only sign so many American players and you can only, you know, you can't break the contracts to come to the United States and things like uh, what the XFL was allowing you to do. So it kind of really limits a developmental type league, so to speak. So, you know, it was really sad that the XFL filed for bankruptcy, but, you know, going back to your point about the 30 for 30, that was actually really interesting, a really interesting 30 for 30 that I did watch. One of the ones that I liked was uh, the 30 for 30 broke about how we think about all these guys and and what they do with their money and how a lot of these guys get duped and, and things like that. It makes you feel for some of these guys. It also makes you kind of go like, well, you were the dummy that spent your money like an idiot. So you kind of reap what you sow, but it kind of, it gives you like a little backdoor to what happens to all these guys' money and things like that. So that when you see this guy five, 10 years down the road after he's retired, after he's been out of the league and you're like, wow, why is this guy working at, you know, Arby's or wherever he's working? You know, it gives you a little insight as to why he's doing that and what happened to his money. You know, maybe he was bamboozled or maybe he trusted the wrong person or something like that. So if you haven't seen that, 30 for 30 broke, it, that one was an interesting one for sure. Uh, I got two other sports documentaries before I let everyone go. I have to mention them because they are my all-time favorites. I have watched them several, several times. One of them is a very recent one, which is Ice Guardians. If you are a fan of hockey and old-time hockey, not this garbage they try to pass off as hockey now, but old-time hockey, watch this documentary. Unbelievable. Fantastic. It gives you an insight as to why they have fighting in the NHL and why it is so important that it stays a part of the game. It needs to stay in the game, and it's just... It's such a good documentary. They interviewed tough guys from past, present. Um, then there's no tough guys for the future, so they can't really interview those guys. But it's just so, it's so well done. They have it. They have differing opinions on it and differing opinions about fighting. And if you are opposed to fighting for whatever reason in the NHL, you really need to go watch that because it might change your mind as far as the concussions and things like that go for the NHL, and my last documentary, I know I, I don't know if you've seen this one, Mark, but it's called Do You Believe in Miracles? And it's about the 1980 U.S. Olympic ice hockey team beating Russia to, uh, you know, get to the gold medal game and to beat Finland and win the gold medal. And it, that story, it's, it's, it's about as American as it gets. It is such a good documentary, and it gives you the feels like you have not had the feels in any sort of documentary you've watched. It is my all-time favorite documentary. I've watched it a hundred million times. It's just, it's so awesome to think about probably the greatest moment in United States sports history, which was the United States men's hockey team, a bunch of college kids playing against essentially professional hockey players and beating them at their own game, just absolutely incredible. And it makes you, it just hits you in the feels like no other sports documentary can really hit you in the feels. It's just fantastic. So, but another great sports movie too. Kurt Russell. Great. Great. Oh, miracle. 
you know what though that I've seen the movie that movie just doesn't do it enough justice in my opinion having watched the documentary the documentary is only an hour long like it's shorter than the movie itself I remember watching the movie and going like this is pretty good out of a 10 I would give it like a 7 but the documentary is like a it's a 10 out of 10 they interview the actual guys they interview the Russians that the the United States played against whoo man it's 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 just it's a fantastic I don't have any other words for it it's so fantastic to watch it's just if you have an hour of a free time google it or youtube it it's on youtube for free it's called do you believe in miracles it will be one of the top results watch the entire documentary and i promise you you if you like hockey and you like great stories especially underdog stories you will not be disappointed at all. It is fantastic. It is uh, it is solidly done. It's older, so you know some of it looks like it was filmed on a potato, but it it's just it's a really good documentary. Like I said, it's an under it's the, it is literally a true underdog story, and it's it's awesome to watch. And it makes me wish I was alive to have that feeling live. In 1980, like so many people felt, it was just such a fantastic time to be an American um, at that moment itself. But that is going to do it for this episode of Sports Talk Buffalo. I would like to thank my partner and co-host, Mark. Thank you again for joining me. I had a fun time. We kind of did a little bit off. Pleasure being with you, Andrew. Always a pleasure. <laughs> we we definitely went a little bit off the cuff today. We didn't do a whole lot of notes. This is essentially just a conversation that me and Mark sat down, talked a little bit about beforehand, and started having a conversation. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at SportsTalkBuff1. You can also email me at SportsTalkBuffalo at Yahoo.com. And if you liked it, you can make sure you tell your friends and family that you can hear me on any of the major podcasting websites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, right here on Anchor. You can also leave me a voice message on Anchor, and your voice message may end up in one of my future episodes. So, again, thank you guys for listening, and I hope everyone has a fantastic week, and stay safe.